Hello, and welcome to Radio Freak Utopia, the podcast about global LGBTI human rights. I'm your host, Ian Likas, and I'm your guide to the creative, imaginative work happening all over the world to build more LGBTI-inclusive communities. Today on Radio Freak Utopia, Chilean activist Luis Lorraine discusses his run for Congress in this coming November's elections, as well as key issues facing Chile's LGBTI communities. On Radio Freak Utopia, we discuss all kinds of work for social change, from art and education to empowering young people to traditional movement work and much more. One thing many activists quickly come to realize, no matter what kind of work they do, is the importance of being in the rooms where decisions are made. For some, their response is to run for political office to make sure that LGBTI people, and indeed many historically underrepresented groups, are not only only visible, but are present in the work of crafting, passing, and implementing laws and policies. Last time, we spoke with Jennifer Liu from Taiwan, whose work in grassroots activism led her to run for the Taiwanese parliament. Today, Luis talks about his own work in Chile's LGBTI community and how he came to run for the House of Deputies. As always, follow Radio Freak Utopia on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and please consider joining our Patreon community. Now, here's my conversation with Luis. Can you tell me about how you got involved with activism? Um, well, it's, it's a little, it's a long story, but um, basically when I came out, I realized that um, most of the gay guys I, I met were very very um, low profile about it and they were very concerned about their families or their their colleagues um, learning that they were gay and I understood it but at the same time I felt that it wasn't right because that would that would um, keep or maintain this um, secrecy culture uh which I found had been very, very damaging to me because I felt I had lost so many years in going to to the shrink or trying to have girlfriends and lying to myself. Um, so I decided I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't be low profile. I would, I would be high profile. And I never said it anyone to to you know to shut up and to not speak about it so then one guy saw me kissing a a guy and he told everybody and then suddenly all my high school knew about it all my university knew about it and I started receiving a lot of emails of of guys uh, in trouble or asking for advice were you in school huh where were you in school uh I was at the engineering school and at the Catholic University. So yeah, it's you could say it's a conservative environment as well. So me being so out about being gay was very controversial for some people, and I was pointed out like in the uh, at, at campus sometimes it was a little uncomfortable sometimes, but. I felt it was the right thing to do, and receiving all these emails confirmed that people needed to talk about it, not to be to be quiet about it. Um, and well, I worked as a model at the time, so I did a lot of TV ads and photos. So I met a film director at the time that a couple of years later um, called me when 
he was shooting um, a presidential candidate's TV ad, and there there was going to be a, a gay couple taking hands, holding hands, uh, um, and and it was it was very controversial because. Well, he was going to win. Everybody knew that that guy was going to win the election, and he was a right-wing candidate, so it was very unexpected. Which, uh, which candidate? Uh, Piñera. Yeah. He, he was he was president from 2010 to 14, and he's running again now. Between uh, her two terms. Yeah. Between Bachelet? Yeah, exactly. Between her two terms. So, um, yeah, and when it, it was aired... It was very, very controversial. Everybody was talking about the gay scene uh, in the ad, and and suddenly, well, journalists started uh, calling me, and I started having like a public voice, and that led to to the f the founding of Iguales a couple of years later with another like individual activist that was very vocal uh, about things not moving forward. What uh, what kind of things did people come up to talk to you about? Um, well, they they were afraid. They they said that their family was probably similar to mine because uh, they they were both Catholic families and conservative families. Um, and well, I realized that there there was increasingly there was a talk about rights and about the LGBT movement in the world but there wasn't any talk in, in Chile about counseling or about helping you come out and I sensed that very clearly and I also created a, a blog that it's called like something like confusedyouth.com <laughs> something like that and where I p published um, testimonies of, of people telling their experience with changed names of course and also there was like a virtual counseling uh, where people could uh, submit their questions and we would answer them so um, it was yeah I, there was a huge necessity of, of talking about all these issues that were so hidden at the time. You know, when you're growing up, what, you know, Chile is often considered to be more conservative than its neighbors. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. Um, it's because of divorce. It took forever. It took 10 years in Congress, and we only had it in 2004, which is crazy. So that's, that's how we... We got that um, the reputation. <laughs> so there wasn't much in the way of you know, visual images of LGBT people yeah, in the Chilean media growing up. No, not at all. Just some stereotypes of maybe some like, transgender hookers or like that kind of thing was the only like visual reference. Um, and of course, I didn't want to become a hooker, <laughs> so that wasn't a role model. Um, and also, I lived in the suburbs in a very isolated area where all families were Catholic, or families were right wing. Um, my school, my school was a Catholic one, so I grew up in a very homogenous environment, and 
um, doing an exchange semester abroad in Berlin helped a lot because I felt free for the first time and uh, even I, even if at first I was very scared and hesitating about going to a gay club for instance uh, like in the in my last weeks there I I managed to do that and I met some guys and suddenly I realized that it was completely normal to be gay and that gay couples had completely normal lives and relationships so that helped me a lot to come out when I when I came back to, to Chile. How old were you when you were in Berlin? I was 22. Okay. Did you know growing up that you like? Did you have some sense of being attracted to guys early on, or is that sort of later? Did it click? No, that was very clear to me from like from the beginning. From I don't know what age, but probably 10 or even before. But I I I mean, I didn't know what that meant in practice because I I never saw or I never met any gay guy or lesbian or same-sex couple at all in that very isolated environment so I mean my options my only options when, when I was a teenager was okay just hiding it keeping it for me and marrying a, a girl or becoming a priest like that those were my two options I I I just didn't picture the idea of having a same-sex relationship, which changed when I went to Germany, and and I'm very thankful for that because if I hadn't done that, then I I would have uh, come out probably even later. That's like oh two, give or take, two thousand two something like that. Um. Yeah. I I flew to Europe at the end of two thousand and two and. The exchange was in 2003. When you finally had, came out to your family, how did that go? Mm, well, everybody knew before my parents, actually, because since I was so chill about it, um, they started talking, and I, um, everybody finds out, but they never... What I, what I learned at the time was, is that they never talked to the parents of the gay guy <laughs> they talked to everybody else with the gossip so pretty much everybody knew except my parents and I, that made me very uncomfortable because I had always been a very good boy I had never been a wild teenager going out and partying at all um, I was pretty much a nerd um, and then suddenly at 23 I was or 22 23 I was uh, lying to them, I was inventing ho ho stories in order to be able to see my, my boyfriend at the time. So I was very uncomfortable, uh, very upset with that. Um, and I was going to a, a psychologist at the time, and he he noticed that it was I was suffering a little bit um, about it. So he proposed to tell them. And I thought that he telling them was a very good idea because then when I talked to them, um, they they would already have the opinion of an expert um, of a you know m mental health professional that could um, certify that <laughs> there was nothing wrong about it that it was okay. So yeah. So it happened, and they called me when 
when they got out from from his practice and they told me to take a cab to some restaurant because they were not able to drive and they were not able to come home because they didn't want my my siblings to see them and their voice was like the worst thing had happened my dad said that it was the hardest thing he had ever experienced my mother was all crying and screaming and laughing and like a lot of emotions at the same time and it was a hard conversation um at that restaurant but um i had chosen when it would happen i was very happy with my boyfriend at the time so i was stable and i think it's very important to to try to plan your coming out to your parents because if they catch you uh in a when you're in a hard time like when you broke up and you're and you're suffering they tend to to relate being gay to suffering and to having a bad time but i was very happy about it at the time so i think that helps a lot and they started being more open and they realized that all their concerns about people what people would say was just that they didn't care and now they're very supportive they they go to all of the our parades and galas and everything so i feel very lucky the change in the united states is dramatic in terms of lgbt youth who are out early on is that actually happening in chilean schools and Chilean schools? yeah definitely but um well chile is a very unequal country so it depends a lot in in what kind of an environment you you grow up so if you grow up in, in a catholic school or an evangelical school in an, in a very religious family it it can still be very hard um there's still a lot of bullying at schools and if you live like in rural areas it's still very hard so um you, you can find an average situation but they vary a lot in speaking with activists for Radio Freak Utopia, I've been particularly interested in listening to activists who grew up under dictatorships, martial law, or other undemocratic regimes. Last time, Jennifer Liu mentioned being pretty young when martial law was lifted in Taiwan. I asked Luis about his early years growing up when former right-wing dictator Augusto Pinochet was still in power in Chile. So you were growing up, uh, you know, you were, you know, Pinochet was in power until you were yeah. nine, and then your teenage years were... Uh, during the transition to democracy with Pinochet still, you know, as general for most of that. What effect did that have sort of on, you know, even if you were not remotely ready to come out yet, just sort of on how you thought about politics, how you thought about your future? Well, it had a big influence because um, many issues were just not publicly addressed um, under a dictatorship. Um, not only not only LGBT stuff, but diversity in general. It was it was a very homogenous country at the time in terms of nationalities or religion, um, and even clothing. Like if you see the <laughs> pictures of that time, um, people didn't dare to dress differently or to think differently or express themselves. Um, it was a dictatorship and. And I, I was at a school that everybody was supporting the dictatorship uh, because, well, whatever reasons they had, <laughs> um, economic reasons mostly. So, um, 
it wasn't a topic that we were there were there would be a, any kind of critical thinking at my school because everybody was pro dictatorship and pro and very right wing and very Catholic. So I kind of regret. Um, I mean, I, I wish I had uh, grown up in a different environment, in a more diverse environment. Maybe if we had lived near downtown, it would have been different. Or if I had gone to a more diverse school, but then my my dad, for instance, he stopped liking his school because it was too lefty for him, and like they kind of chose that kind of suburb bubble life for us, and you know I I they know that I I didn't like that, but well. Each story is very different. Some there, I, I've also heard p people, usually younger in Chile, say, "Okay, what's all the fuss about being gay? It's completely normal. We live in the globalization era." And yeah, maybe for some people it, it's like that, but every story is different. And if you grow up in other cities or in rural areas, then it's so much more difficult. I also asked Luis how he got involved in co-founding Igualis, one of Chile's largest LGBTI organizations. Yeah, so um, it, it was a very particular um, time, political time, because uh, a right-wing president had promised a same-sex civil union, which was very unusual, very controversial. Um, he was... He, he was trying to get the moderate vote for sure, but but his coalition was extremely conservative. On, only a bunch of his close advisors were more liberal, but the the party the party the heads of, of uh, his coalition's parties were were on still are very very conservative, and they were. Um, putting a lot of pressure for for him not to do anything related to to the civil union and this this other this gay writer called Pablo Simonetti who is very very well known in Chile we started talking a lot to the press we started attending some meetings and political meetings and people were very interested in our opinion and but suddenly they asked so whom whom do you represent and we said no it's just the two of of us, so we realized that we lacked um, legitimacy in a way. Um, and then a third guy came. He he's a lawyer, and he said, "Okay, we should build something and some institution that that can help um, to bring more people, to bring more resources, and and have something that doesn't completely rely on on you too." just the, the two of us so we we built it and in a way we realized that um, there were many LGBT groups but um, they many of them didn't have a, a modern view of advocacy and by this I mean many of them had uh, been born during the dictatorship so they their way to address activism was a little bit old-fashioned, um, so very um, confrontational, um, like accusing everybody of not uh, respecting them, which is true, um, but we just think that a more 
of convincing or a more conciliatory approach would be more effective. And we realized that um, being a gay activist didn't necessarily mean to be like a guerrilla leader, but um, you, you could build a modern NGO. And we looked a lot to some to the American model, <laughs> to um, groups here in the U.S. And we we realized that we we needed to to transform gay activism into something more professional. So we started fundraising, we started hiring people, and that was very new. And even like um, old gay activists were very skeptical about our model, which is nothing, <laughs> nothing more complex than just raising money and hiring people because for them you, you you couldn't get paid if you were an activist you needed to be voluntary but at the same time that makes it very less effective because if you if you work like a full full time then you don't have a lot of time to to do activism uh, professionally so clearly there's a model of having a professional organization sort of modeled on you know what has emerged in the United States over the last few decades of yeah. professional NGOs. Yes. Uh, to what what kind of concrete work does Equalis do? What do you do with Equalis? Yeah. Well, I know you just stepped down as yeah. ED. What yeah? What I've been doing or what we've been doing for the, this last six years is first um, political advocacy. So working together with uh, with the administration and with the with the Congress in order to pass laws basically mm-hmm. and uh, during the six, six years we've been able to I mean not not just us but we've helped um, to have an, an anti-discrimination mm-hmm. act and a civil union act um, and well, very other small things like in in municipalities and other stuff then we do a lot of education um we we are in six out of the 15 regions of chile and we go to school to universities to to train uh, public officers or companies and all that and we try to be very very present in the media um, through TV ads, through campaigns, because um, we realized that many of the of the old NGOs were kind of very skeptical uh, of the media and of traditional media. Um, but that didn't help in a way because they were talking to the same old activism world and, and not spreading the word. And we wanted to be mainstream. We wanted to be. Uh, you know, everybody's um, matter. So we designed like massive um, media campaigns, and we hired a, a journalist from from the very first, from the very beginning. So I think communications has helped a lot. And I, when when you really want to prioritize communication, you you need to do a personal sacrifice. You need to be at sometimes at seven a.m. on the radio or, or eleven p.m. Uh, TV, 
Um, or doing a podcast right after you got off the plane. Exactly. Just <laughs> like a random example. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and you need to read the paper first thing in the morning when you wake up. You need to be very well informed about everything. So I think many, many other groups were not that... Um, focus on that and that made them less visible and that in the end um, gives you less power to make things change I mean one of the things that jumped out at me as you're talking many things jumped out uh, you mentioned working in nine of Chile's 15 regions six yeah so excuse me I, I, I had the nine and six <laughs> um, to what degree are things changing not only in Santiago but also throughout the country and I was thinking about how on the elevator ride up here, uh, we were talking about Atlanta yeah. and how people come from all over the southeastern United States to Atlanta. I'm guessing that people come from all over Santiago, uh, to all over sure. Chile, to go to Santiago. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's by far the the friendliest city for for LGBT people to to live. Um, there's a couple other big cities that are okay, but most. Most cities throughout the country are are very conservative. So, yeah, especially in, we have a very particular geography because it's it's a very long country, and in the north you there's nothing but sand and there's a huge desert, and then you find a city like hundreds of miles away of another city. Um. And then in the south, uh, we have Patagonia, which is a which is really beautiful, but it's um, the landscape doesn't allow for a lot of human activity because of because of the cold and the fjords and the glaciers. So not many people live there as well, and they're very isolated, and you people don't talk about such things. So yeah, there's inequalities in Chile, there's regional inequalities as well, but I remember one of the last um, marriage equality polls and there was no no significant difference in support in Santiago and the rest of Chile, so I guess like cities are catching up in a way. What... Um you know, when you've gone into trying to build coalitions, how has that played out? Uh, you know, what has been effective or what has been challenging about doing coalition work with other forces for equality and justice in Chile? Well, we we were one of the founders of what we call El Frente de la Diversidad Sexual, so Sexual Diversity Front, and it's composed by twelve members now. Um, it's been hard because um, there's different views, there's different um, focus, um, but I think it's it's very much needed because there's a lot of duplication sometimes, lack of coordination, and and also like um, lesbian organizations they need to have their own organization sometimes, but they they need the support of all the other organizations, same with trans um, groups or HIV groups. So we've been trying to help each other. Um, coordination hasn't been easy, I, I'm, <laughs> to be honest. 
Um, but but it's a very I think it's a good example of uh, collaboration. And actually, it's like one of the most visible organizations is not a, a member of this coalition, and that that puts a lot of pressure to it because people are always talking about why are they separate and why are there two marches why are there two um, stages at the march or at the, at the parade so yeah but it's a huge topic and also coordinating with other human rights organizations has, has been very helpful because we help each other when we campaign so we work a lot with with feminist organizations and indigenous group or, and migrants and people with disabilities and just any group that is discriminated. What do those look like in practice, sort of like, you know, and trying to work, you know, when you're working on LGBT rights and indigenous rights or disabled rights, since, of course, some people are, in fact, both. LGBT, <laughs> are, you know, are both, you know, whichever combination or more than two of those. Sure. I think um, the intersectionality um, focus is increasingly present in LGBT or in discussions in general because people realize that it's not um, it's not the same to be a you know a rich gay or a poor gay or an, an indigenous lesbian than a non-indigenous lesbian or even a lesbian than a girl a gay guy because of the gender discrimination so um, I think it's it's very present um, but at the same time it leads to some controversy sometimes because um, for, for example um, I got a lot of criticism at the beginning because of because I come from a privileged family Um, and people, many people said that, how could I talk about discrimination when, when I, I came from that background? But, but I think it's not fair because you like, I can be held, um, responsible or accountable for what I didn't choose. I, I know I was privileged in, in that way. I know I got lucky, but that shouldn't make me, uh, like, stop being an activist because I mean even if you suffer um, discrimination for a very very particular reason and just one reason you can talk about it I think so uh, now people respect me a, a little more I think because of, they realize I've, I work seriously but the Chile is a country of very Uh, strong inequality so the the class um, factor is always there and yeah the, the less privileged your your family is the the harder time you will get because you can get kicked off uh, your home you can I don't know even have to live in the street so obviously that that's a huge um, disadvantage for for a lot of people what you know clearly you know there's been a tremendous success with winning civil unions and marriage equality is certainly possible though not guaranteed in the near future I think yeah it's probably the, 
safest way to say it. Um, but how about other issues? Um, I mean, I know violence in particular, but uh, I know there's an anti-discrimination, broadly speaking, there's an anti-discrimination law. But how about other issues such as um, health care, uh, you know, sort of everyday discrimination in health care, or um, well, violence is sort of the big one that comes to mind. And I know there's obviously a transformative event a few years ago, uh, you know, the murder of um, Daniel... Samuel, yeah. So, um, well, um, health is, yeah, it's a, it's a very big issue um, for some groups. For instance, um, for transgender people, because they are not um, addressed properly by by health uh, professionals, and because sometimes because of just stupid uh, bureaucracy rules, like a trans man uh, cannot go to a gynecologist or a you know, so it's. I think we're very far behind. On that issue, and there's been um, an increase of HIV um, positive cases in in young gay uh, guys, like very young, like 15 to 19. Because in a way, well, and I'm sure that happens in other places as well. But um, I would say that gay, like gay teenagers feel that they live in a safer world, and they do, and that people don't die of HIV anymore, but that, um, like, to to not see the, the danger close, to see it very far can be a problem, and I think that that's what, what's happening, and people are not being safe, they're not protecting themselves, so, and, and the, the, health department has has hasn't been very focused on that um campaigns haven't been very effective so that's that's a huge topic um, it's not what we at Iwales do it's not our, our focus but but it, there's a very important uh concern especially among uh the transgender community, and there's a there's a couple hospitals in the whole country where there uh, there's a transgender program where where they get hormones and they can have surgery if they want, but in mo- like the large majority of ho- hospitals there isn't such a thing, so they need to move to another city. So yeah, it's it's hard. I know there's a discussion of a, a gender identity law comparable to the Argent the law in Argentina, which has been a model you know, in North America and Europe. Yeah, I don't know where the state of that legislation. Is. That's that's been the most frustrating bill I've ever worked on because it's been four years and it's still in its first like reading. You you could say. Um, they are blocking it and blocking it and blocking it and though like the different churches have been very active on it talking about gender ideology which nobody knows exactly what it what it is but um and actually we were able to include um minors in, in the bill and then uh the right wing kept um 
presenting more and more amendments, and then suddenly, uh, like a centrist senator, changed his mind after after years, and he voted against it. So now they're not included in in the bill. So it's been it's been very very frustrating. I, I hope that President Bachelet. Um, prioritizes it before leaving because she only has um, less than 11 months left. Since we started emailing about this a couple months ago, you've made the announcement that you're running for Congress, you know, for the yep. House of Deputies. Yeah. How'd that come about? Well, um, after all those years of um, LGBT advocacy, and working with uh, representatives all the time, then I think it's quite common or quite usual that you start asking yourself whether you could be one of them. Like, not not only um, try to make, to change their minds or to you know help them make decisions, but also make decisions on on your own or like be be part of them or be inside and not just trying to to influence from from the outside and I think it's a matter of representation as well I think many many people is exciting about having an or the possibility of having a gay activist in Congress um, and I like new challenges <laughs> um, I've worked in public policy pretty much all my all my life so I think it was kind of a natural step, and now we'll see if, if I will get elected. And also, there, there might be a stigma on okay, this guy is good at that topic, but would, like he hasn't proven anything else in other topics. So I think uh, one of my challenges now is to to be able to convey that um, I'm interested in all kinds of discriminations. Um, I'm interested in all kinds of inequalities, and I've I've done a good job in one area, but I can do a good job in other areas as well. You're running, you know, for a district on the east side of Santiago, if I remember correctly. Or neighborhood. Um, it's I would say the east. It's pretty much downtown okay great um it's six um municipalities out of the uh 37 that make santiago so but it's yeah it's downtown so you could okay. say like it's a capital district okay. in a way and yeah that that makes it even more of a challenge there's very uh well-known um representatives that will run for re-election but we just changed the electoral system, so now um, districts are larger, and they elect up to eight um, members, M MPs. So, and there's six of them that are representing that that area now. So even if the six of them run and get reelected, there's space for two more. So I expect to be one of them. <laughs> One of those two. Fantastic. So you don't have to come in first to get sort of be elected. Which no, no. There's eight of us that will be elected. So, I mean, I think I have 
good chances because people, I mean, some people know me. It's not that everybody knows me, but at least I, I don't, I'm not beginning a campaign with 0% <laughs> knowledge. The new Congress will be much more diverse because not only the two right-wing and left-wing traditional coalitions will be represented by uh, but also other groups and um, the political especially the old political parties right now are very very unpopular because of a lot of corruption scandals so there's a chance for new parties to to run and to uh, get some seats and I'm running for a new party it's a centrist party that hopes to to recover um, to recover common sense in a way and to be able to to build bridges be between the polarized left and the polarized right that in our opinion ha have um, have like flooded if you say that well whatever flooded our 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 political scenario so I'm very excited about that project um, as well and and it's a it's a very very pro diversity pro uh, civic rights uh, party so I'm very so excited party? yeah it's called citizens yeah how do you think being an actress has changed you changed your life well, I feel much more empowered. Like before, if I saw an inequality or something that is just not right on the street or wherever, I would hesitate before saying something. But now I'm very <laughs> vocal. I'm always asking questions. Um, and what's most exciting about it, I feel that... Um, all my life I thought that being gay was a huge handicap that I would probably take to, to the grave because nobody would know. Um, and now it's not only that I feel not, it's not only not a, a disadvantage, but it even could be an advantage in my case. I'm not saying that <laughs> um, LGBT people in Chile have better lives than, than other people, uh, the country. But in a way that uh, being an a, a gay activist has shown a lot of people that I have a very genuine interest in making people's better, making people's lives better, um, in working very responsibly and very seriously, and you know improving our, our public policies. So. In a way, I feel like it's a, more of an asset now. Awesome. I'll get one last question in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and this is actually a new question for these interviews that just kind of occurred to me, but you know, for those of us who are activists, uh, coming out can sort of be complicated in the coming out into other political spaces versus just being around people who want to have a good time and be like everybody else. Yeah. How have you sort of negotiated that kind of social and person personally navigated, you know, those spaces of just hey, I'm gay, I want to have a good time, I want to have a good life, and hey, I want to <laughs> change the world and make my society a better place. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, there's a, there's a lot of costs of being an activist uh, in terms of not having a private life. Uh, since visibility is so important for the cause, then you're used to making everything public, but then suddenly you realize that you don't have a private life um, and your boyfriends don't like that uh, that public side of you. And even though I've obviously never... Um, published anything intimate or or any like relationship secret or whether it was working or not but it's it still created tension um because of fans sometimes or because of a lack of of time and because of working 24 7 but i just feel it's It's my vocation. Um, it's what I like to do. Um, it's what I've learned to do. So, yeah, um, sometimes I, when I'm super tired and I'm working and it's late, then sometimes I, I think, oh, I wish I was having a beer right now. I wish I was watch, like just watching a show. But, well, and it's, it's my life. I mean... <laughs> Like a good place to pause. <laughs> thank you. Thank well, you so thank much. you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Luis. For more about Luis's campaign, you can go to his website, luislorraine.cl, or follow him on Facebook and Instagram at luislorraine. Right as I finished production on this episode, news broke that next week, on August 28th, Chilean President Michelle Bachelet will formally introduce marriage rights for same-sex couples in Chile. Whether that law will include adoption rights for same-sex couples is not yet clear, nor are the prospects for the bill in a lame-duck Congress this close to the November elections. As always, follow Radio Freak Utopia on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you'll consider supporting the podcast by becoming a pledging sponsor at patreon.com. Just search for Radio Freak Utopia, and I'll see you back here in two weeks. Thanks again for listening.